Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour Voices, a special series on the Mom Hour showcasing diverse voices from across the motherhood community. I am Sarah Powers, and today I am joined by three members of our team. I'm here with Catherine. Hey, Catherine. Hi. And Katie. Hi, everyone. And Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hi. So I'm really excited to have all three of you here today. And what we're doing today is kind of a roundtable conversation about faith and cultural traditions at the holidays and how different families are honoring those faith and cultural traditions by bringing them forward from maybe how, how we were raised in the past, creating new traditions with the kids that we're raising. And then also things like navigating interfaith and intercultural dynamics by way of the families that we've created and joined and married into. So we know this is a really big topic and we definitely don't pretend to have every aspect of it represented or that we're going to cover everything today. But I'm really excited to dig in and learn a little bit from each of you and more about how your families celebrate the holidays and just, I guess, get into this conversation. So thank you all for being here. Um, let's just introduce this panel briefly. Um, everybody here has been on the podcast before except Joanne. But for those who maybe haven't gotten to know Katie and Catherine, um, let's just go around and remind everybody where you live, how many kids you have and their ages. And then I just thought for fun, because we're just really into December now, tell me your favorite hot beverage of choice during the holiday season. So Katie, I know you have opinions about warm beverages and the holidays. So let's start with you. <laughs> Hi. Um, okay. So I live in a suburb of Chicago and I am a mom to three boys, Henry, who is almost eight. Sam, who is five, and Charlie, who is two. And I 
Yeah, I have opinions about hot beverages, but mostly I'm just very devoted to coffee. So I'm not really into like a bunch of different flavors or anything like that, but we do always um, grind our coffee beans in the morning. And so we really like eight o'clock coffee beans. And oh, I then don't know I. That brand. Is that available <sighs> everywhere? I think it's available everywhere. And um, we just, I think it's like a great mix of like a good value and also really good flavor. And then I just have that with a little bit of half and half and a little bit of sugar. Um, Like I said, I'm not really into like flavored creamers or anything like that, but I do have a favorite holiday mug that I've been drinking it in. (laughs) I thought you might. I love it. I love it. Joanne, how about you? Introduce yourself. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Joanne, and I have two kids. They're seven and ten, two boys, and I live in northern New Jersey. Um, we're about 35 minutes outside of New York City, and I have a cheat already for this first question. I have two favorite. Oh, I love it. <laughs> two you're, favorite. You're holiday. new, so you you. We need to know more about you. You're new to the show, so bring us two holiday beverages. I have two holiday beverages for the season. One right now, I'm drinking a lot of roasted brown rice green tea. I don't know oh. if you guys have ever had that, but it's. I think it's called Gen Mei Cha. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. Um, but it's nice and earthy and grounding. So I've been drinking that in the afternoons and in the spirit of the season and all that we have. To do, I'm also drinking um, straight up black coffee. No nice. creamer, no sugar, just straight up black coffee. Do you have a holiday mug as well, or is the mug not change? Right now, I'm using an extra large mug that has a little ceramic top uh-huh. because I'm trying to keep my beverages somewhat warm so I don't put them in the microwave and forget yep. about them all day long. Yes, as moms do, as moms do. I love it. Um, well, Catherine, come on and say hello. Hi. Um, yeah, so I'm Catherine. I live in Southern California and I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, and I, my whole family among, you know, 12,000 other viruses all got a stomach flu like a month ago. And I kind of like accidentally detoxed from caffeine because I like couldn't drink it. So I'm like trying to keep that going and I'm really into just like decaf teas now. Um, so I drink a lot of chamomile with a lot of honey and I'm actually still drinking out of my Halloween mug right now. So I have oh. to, I have to switch it up. It is time. It is time to yeah. switch it up. I mean, accidentally detoxing from caffeine. Were you like, were you a hardcore coffee person before this? Yeah. Or? I was like okay. in at least two cups a day. Yeah. Okay. This is fascinating to me. I wonder if we check back with you in like two weeks, if this will have stuck around forever. I I'm, I'm curious as well. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm fascinated. Um, well, for anybody who's brand new around here or just, I guess, uh, needs a reminder, I am Sarah Powers. Uh, Megan and I are the kind of co-hosts of this podcast. My kids are 14, 12, and 9, but soon to be 10. And we live in Santa Barbara. Um, so here's something I finally learned this fall holiday season about warm beverages is I always was a little envious. Katie, like you, I I don't really do flavored creamers. I don't even like sweetener in my coffee. And um, but I always felt a little envious of people who could sort of like seasonalify their their warm beverage and make it, you know, just sort of festive. And finally, I realized that um, adding a little bit of a seasonal grounds in with my normal grounds of coffee, but just like a little, little bit 
um, is a great way to flavor the coffee itself. I don't have to switch up my creamer. I use oat milk as like my only creamer. And I only put in, so in the fall, I was doing like a maple blend or like a pumpkin spice blend from Trader Joe's. But if we put seven scoops in our in our drip coffee pot to brew for Brian and me in the morning, um, I would put like one of those scoops as the flavored. So not even just like just enough. And I have not yet because my family's been sick as well and we've been traveling. I have not yet picked up a more winter Christmassy um, grounds blend, but that is the plan. And that has been really fun because I felt like it's just the hint of seasonal flavor without going overboard. Um, and I am also a two cups of coffee a day person. And I do also enjoy a seasonal mug. So that's, that's me over here. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Motion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. All right, so I'd love to just kind of go around our table here and hear from each of you. Um, if it helps to lay the context of what kind of faith or cultural traditions you were brought up in, then feel free to do that briefly. And then I'd, what I'd love to hear first is what are some things that you are bringing into your now family, your the kids that you're raising? 
that are different from how you celebrated the holidays growing up. Um, and that might be because of the family you married into or some changes that, you know, you've gone through as an adult moving across the country or finding a different faith tradition for yourself. So I'd love to hear how are your kids experiencing faith and cultural traditions differently than you did um, and and why? So, Joanne, let's start with you. So um, I'm Filipino. I grew I was born here in the States and my two sisters were born in the Philippines. So I'm first generation Filipino and my husband is Puerto Rican, but his family has been here for um, a few generations. So. My father's family is mostly either in the U.S. or in Canada, and my mother's family is all in the Philippines. So when I was growing up, we would go, most of the time we would go to Toronto, Canada to spend with my father's extended family. Um, And in Toronto, there are a lot, there's a big Filipino community. So we would get, you know, we'd get Filipino foods there from the bakeries and the markets and they didn't have those kinds of things where I grew up in, in upstate New York. Um, I guess the diff- uh, one big difference now is that we have three Christmases, kind of. We have um, a small Christmas with my husband's parents okay. at our house. We have Then we go to my sister's house in upstate New York. We, we um, stay with them, and we have Christmas morning at her house with my nephew. And then we go five minutes away to my parents' house for the rest of Christmas Day. So we, it's kind of all over the place, whereas when I was growing up, it was kind of in one place. Um, And the other traditions that are different, I think when I was growing up, it was more focused on going to church. Mm -hmm. And now we're still kind of figuring out how to how to integrate that into our family life. Yeah. Plus, it's been extra confusing, to be honest, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, with my family, you know, I grew up going to church every Sunday. That was a no non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. And because of COVID, you know, my parents are in their 70s and 80s. We they didn't go to church during COVID. They would do online mass. And this Christmas, I'm not sure what we're going to do about um, if we're, we go to church in person and mm-hmm. at what time. You know, before yeah. when I was growing up, we would go to midnight mass. Right. With my kids and with my sister's kids, we never went to midnight mass. Yeah. That was just <laughs> not going to happen for, for, for our, our little kids. So before COVID, we would go to church. I tried to get my parents to go at 4 p.m. Christmas Eve, which was really not what they they thought of. Countercultural to them, yeah. yeah they, were, they just didn't even understand that concept, you know, like the children-friendly convenient yeah. math before before Christmas. Um, so I'm hoping that, that we do that again this year. That's, it's uh, TBD. TBD. I'll, I'll come back can afterwards. I, can know. I jump in with kind of like a um, starter question, a basic question. I, I mean, from my, um, own Filipino friends, I am assuming your Filipino, um, family is Catholic. And is that the same on your husband's side being, uh, from a Puerto Rican family? So we're, we're talking about merging, um, merging cultural backgrounds here, but, um, has everyone's faith tradition been Catholic on both sides? That's a good question. So we are, you're right. We 
are Catholic. I grew up Catholic. I should say my family of origin is Catholic. Yeah. And he grew up Lutheran, I think. Oh, okay. His family wasn't as active. He didn't go to church as actively as my family did. Okay. Um, or does. And one thing that we are trying to figure out is in, in our community, um, I live about three to four hours away from my parents and from my sisters, what church we're going to go to um, before the pandemic. We, this is not maybe the best way to describe it, but we were sort of church shopping yeah. to try to find the right, to try to find the right church community that yeah. felt um, in line with what I was comfortable with and what he was comfortable with mm-hmm. um, because he didn't grow up going to church every Sunday like I did. Um, and we landed on an Episcopalian church that we were comfortable with. Um, it was very similar to how I grew up, but they were very progressive. They had a, a big focus on being inclusive and the community was very diverse, which was important to our family. Um, and again, we things kind of fell off track because of the pandemic. Yeah. And we're starting, or I'm starting to shift my focus back on how we're going to integrate that into our family life going forward. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Catherine, you are up next. And I was just thinking it was fun because you came on with Megan not that long ago to talk about the big regional differences in growing up in the Midwest and now living in Southern California. So I feel like listeners have heard you talk about that which is such a big part of this, but I am curious about the more like cultural faith part of how your kids are being raised versus how you grew up. Yeah. So, um, I was raised Catholic as well. My, my dad's family actually wasn't Catholic, but he converted when I was a little kid. I don't remember how old, but, um, I always had a kind of complicated relationship with, um, Catholicism, I guess, growing up, I was never I went to Sunday school. We went to church every week. Um, but yeah, I always had a lot of questions about it, I guess. Um, I grew up outside of Chicago too. And we were, I lived in a pretty, I guess, religiously diverse neighborhood. So I had a lot of Jewish friends growing up, which I didn't realize until I actually left college that that's like kind of unusual, um, Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of places in the world where there aren't very many Jews. Um, and then I met my husband in college and he's Jewish. Um, and then it's actually kind of a long meandering story, but we moved to Los Angeles and I did the Teach for America program here. And through them, I actually ended up teaching in Israel in a Jewish Jewish school there oh, wow. um, for two summers. And so I kind of got like very ingrained in the Jewish community, almost more than my husband was. Um, uh-huh. And then when we got married, we kind of we did premarital counseling and talked about what we wanted, what we envisioned for our family religiously. Um, and I was definitely the less connected to my, you know, family of origins faith. Um, and I had already kind of found this weird community, um, in Judaism in Los Angeles. So we decided we were going to raise our kids religiously Jewish. Um, I haven't actually converted yet because it's, a long process. I have to like learn some Hebrew yeah. and stuff. So yeah, it <laughs> is. I, I, I have a friend who did it. It is a process. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I might actually wait till my daughter, um, 
goes through the bat mitzvah process so I can kind of like do it with her, which I thought would be fun unless she yeah. hates that idea. But anyway, we, so we go to temple now. My kids are enrolled in Sunday school there. Um, and we celebrate all of the Jewish holidays in, I guess, a religious way. Um, but then we still celebrate Christian holidays in a more secular way in our house. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Um, I didn't know all of those pieces and how they fit together. Yeah. I just know from your Instagram that, you know, that you call yourself an interfaith family, but that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then Katie, I guess, how about you? Um, and I don't know if we're veering away from the original question even because this is so interesting, but I'm curious, Katie, if there are ways that your boys are growing up that are different than how you were raised or maybe not. Yeah, I think, um, there are some differences. So I was raised Catholic. We're raising our boys Catholic and one thing that is a little bit different from the way that I was raised is that I think we're bringing more liturgical living into our home. Okay. So a lot of the traditions that I grew up with were celebrated either at church or in Catholic school because I went to Catholic school. Um, and so a lot of those were kind of bringing more into our actual home. My, my kids don't go to Catholic school. So like... We have an Advent wreath, which was something that I grew up with, but not inside our home. Okay. And then we also make um, a little bit of a bigger deal about St. Nicholas Day, which is on December 6th. So those were two things that were like part of my childhood, but I think we're making them a little bit of a bigger deal by celebrating them more in our actual home, if that makes yeah. sense. Do you think I'm just uh, everything comes back to Instagram and the Internet. Yeah. Do you think that as a practicing Catholic mom, you have access to more like ideas and inspiration for those like smaller ritualist? And I don't want to call them small, but those more like um, in the home practices because of the Internet and social media? I think there are definitely more like opportunities and resources available from when I was growing up. I mean, I know you can like purchase Advent curriculums and there's so many different products and things like that, that on one hand can make it like a lot more fun for kids, but it can also be really overwhelming. So yeah. I'm trying to not like go too hard into like, product side of that and more just like focusing on how um, we can like celebrate these traditions just a little bit more yeah. in our home. But I, I would agree that there, I mean, I feel like with any kind of niche, there's like a, you can dive deep into it on social media. <laughs> there's a hashtag for that. You can dive deep and like, there are a million things you can buy to like kind of support that. So that's, not really like what I'm trying to do, but yeah. it's there. It's there yeah. for sure. I was just thinking because you were saying like as a as a kid, it was either church or school was where yeah. those things happen. And it, it just occurred to me, like as you were talking, that I wonder if, you know, the there's pros and cons to it all. But that sort of like democratization, whoa, um, that has made some of those things um, just more visible for those who want to practice in the home. Yeah. And I think both of the two things that I mentioned, the Advent wreath and celebrating St. Nicholas Day, those are traditions that a lot of families have done in their homes for a really long time. Um, it was just not something that my family 
really did. Like we just, we kind of just did it at church and school, but I do know that, you know, for many generations, those are things that people have done at home. And so I just like the idea of kind of getting back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I guess we've set the stage with um, how each of you are maybe evolving or doing things a little differently than how you were raised. Um, I would love to hear what you're bringing forward from your childhood and are sort of um, repeating or trying to continue on with your kids. And this can be it could be directly related to your faith. It could also just be sort of a more like culturally um, how you celebrate the winter holidays. So, Catherine, let's start with you, because you have made kind of a big faith journey. But what things are a through line from your childhood to how your kids are celebrating? Yeah. So we still celebrate Christmas. Um which I thought would be more confusing for my kids than it actually is. And they're still little, but it just, um, I haven't gotten a lot of questions about it from them, which is kind of nice. But we, my, growing up, my dad was very into the magic of Christmas. Like, uh-huh. you know, he, he went really above and beyond with all of the little things. Um, I feel like he, he could have had like a great space on Instagram as like the Christmas yes. dad, because he really pulled out all the stops. <laughs> Um, so we, we still do all of that. I have a lot of like, you know, little Christmas Eve traditions. We do like the pickle on the Christmas tree. I don't know if anyone else does that, but my, my kids love that one. Um, we make a big deal of Christmas day. There's always a lot of, um, baking and food. And then I do, um, I do every Christmas event geared towards children that is available in Southern California. Like if it exists, I sign up for it. (laughs) Um, And so by that, you mean like taking your kids to a a thing and doing a thing? Okay. Like we'll see Santa. We went on the Polar Express ride. They have like a train ride here. We, um, yeah, we do it all. I just love the, and I don't find that a lot of it is um, very religiously oriented anyway. So I don't think it's confusing. Um, I just love that you know, it's, it's magical. And there's only a, a few years where you yeah. really get it that way. I, now this is just a sidebar, a Southern California sidebar, but have you gone to the Sawdust Festival in Laguna Beach? We just went last weekend. <laughs> oh, so that like we moved back up from Orange County two and a half years ago. And uh, the list of things that I really miss in that way is not very long because my kids are older. We're not doing the same type of things anymore, but my kids still ask about that. And that winter, the winter version of sawdust is my absolute favorite. Yeah. It was very magical. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well that's really cool. I love, I love hearing that Katie, how about you? What's, what's the through line? Um, so one thing that we're trying to keep is keeping some Christmas up after Christmas day. So I know that it feels like there's you know, a lot of times you can feel that pressure of like getting it up early and then taking it down early. And I have friends who like start taking stuff down, um, like Christmas night and I get it, especially if you put it up early, like you kind of start to get tired of it. Um, but I grew up with my parents always keeping Christmas up through epiphany, which is 12 days after Christmas. So that's like what the 12 days of Christmas, um, is based on and that 12 days after Christmas is uh, the idea is that that's the date that the wise men actually made it to Bethlehem to see baby Jesus. So that's January 6th. 
So we try to keep some Christmas stuff up through January 6th. I will usually have to take down my Christmas tree because we do a uh, real tree and it will be like a fire hazard (laughs) if I keep it up until January 6th. So usually the tree is down and, and usually like the Santa stuff and that kind of stuff. But we um, we definitely keep our nativity up through Epiphany and we wait to bring out the three wise men until January 6th. So like I have it up right now on a shelf, um, but the wise men are not out there. And then I heard this really fun idea that I think I might try this year which is it's kind of a twist on like the elf on the shelf. So instead of like moving an elf every night or whatever, after Christmas, those 12 days, you put the three wise men like someplace in your house Uh and then they just get like every night you move them closer and closer closer to the nativity. So then on Epiphany, they actually make it to baby Jesus. So I think I might try that. Have the idea of them kind of traveling around our house. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, so. I like that a lot. And I actually, I learned I learned a lot because I, I was familiar with the 12 days of Christmas, but not exactly how all of that fit together. So thank you for, for sharing that. And I actually really like the idea of intentionally leaving some of Christmas up. It's like, it's yeah. very different than just like, oh, I'm too tired to box up all the ornaments. But like, that there is a finality to it and sort of like um, a, a closing ceremonies, as the lazy genius would say, of that season. It's just not on December 26th. It's mm-hmm. in January. So I love mm-hmm. that. Joanne, how about you? Uh, one thing that we did when I was growing up was we would drive down to the sit to New York City to see the Rockefeller Christmas tree, the big tree in Rockefeller yeah. Center. And we would have to come on a weekend. It's only up between, I think, the right after Thanksgiving and and then it stays up after Christmas. But we would have to go between Thanksgiving and Christmas on a Saturday. It is horribly crowded. Yeah. (laughs) It would often be terribly cold and kind of miserable all around. Uh And yet we have very fond memories of doing this. Yeah. Um, You know, like fighting through the crowds being starving and grouchy and yeah, we still want to keep doing this or I still want to keep doing this. My husband, not so much. Um, so I'm trying to continue that by taking my kids. They've gone not every year, but most years we've taken them. And then on the kind of opposite end, what I realized about our holiday Christmas time is um, just like a, like a buzziness of, everybody being in the same house. Uh-huh. So it's not really what it's not really what we're doing. We're not really doing anything, but we're all in the same house and even during Christmas Eve meals or you know um Christmas day or Christmas day like in between lunch and dinner meal, we're not sitting around at the same table where you know the kids are watching TV with their plates on yeah. their lap, the grown-ups are in the dining room sitting at the table. Um some people are like at the counter eating like a takeover, a, a space takeover, it's a space takeover. And um, I that's what I think of when I think of our holiday time. Just we're not dressed up necessarily. Yeah. We're just in the same space. And there's like a festive um, buzziness is the only yes. thing that I can And think so of. you're saying and that was the same when you were growing up and then you feel that now. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, I, yeah. I think um, my brother-in-law is, he's half Italian, half Swiss German. Okay. And, my, you know, my sister and he have been married for 20-something years. So his family's really integrated into our family. And it's funny seeing how they do things differently. Like they'll put out a big, long table. Okay. For holiday meals and everyone sits around the table. And I remember the first time we did that, I was really confused (laughs) (laughs) that everybody was sitting down at the same time. Right. With like the same courses on their plates instead of like going up to the table and getting whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, But, you know, my family now and my kids are used to both. Yeah. They've, they've experienced both. I think that's such a good point because it's sometimes hard to put our finger on what we mean when we say like carrying forward traditions or rituals, because we go automatically to this very formal, like either religious or like cookie cutter um, definition of a tradition. But you're so right that even the way a meal is served or eaten um, and the way a family gathers in a house is part of like those memories imprinting. So I love that that's a more um, like a a fuzzier interpretation of something that's carrying forward for your kids that you remember. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Megan, one thing I love about living in the time that we do is the way technology is transforming so many areas of our lives, not just to make things faster, but also to expand access to more people. And I'm not just talking about meal delivery or transportation, but even like the way our kids learn music. Yeah, Sarah, children's music education does not always have to be left up to in-person classroom teachers or private instructors like it was when we were growing up. Our sponsor, Carnegie Hall Kids, is putting great online resources right at our kids' fingertips. Yeah, we've shared about Carnegie Hall Kids in the past, and they're really great educational quizzes, games, and videos for kids and families. But I'm really excited to tell everybody about their new Sites You Can Hear quiz. This is really cool. It's an online quiz you can do with your kids or they can do on their own, and it plays a piece of music, and then you guess what visual image or scene it sounds like. Almost like one of those inkblot tests, but for your ears. Okay, I really want to take that quiz. And a really cool thing is everything on the Carnegie Hall Kids website is totally free. 
Listeners, start the musical journey early and go to kids.carnegiehall.org to check out fun, child-friendly games and quizzes free. Let's talk about how our kids are learning the way that their own family celebrates. In other words, there's kind of an awareness that happens at some point in preschool or kindergarten or somewhere around there that not all families celebrate the same holidays. Um, Even those who celebrate the same holidays might not celebrate them the same way. Um, And that brings up all kinds of opportunities to talk to our kids about why you do what you do. So Katie, um, with boys your kids' ages, I am sure that these are conversations that are happening all the time. Um, Have any of those conversations stuck out to you? Or is there a particular way you like to talk to your boys about the way your family celebrates the holidays? Sure. Um, So I have to say that starting in preschool, our kids' schools have done a really good job of like embracing diversity around the holidays and teaching all the different ways that families celebrate or don't at all. And so that has been really helpful. So we have really taken a lot of lead from that and even like let our kids talk to us more even about like what they're learning about how their friends and classmates celebrate. I I will say so Henry right now is uh, practicing for a holiday concert that he's going to have next week. And so for the last like month, he's been singing Hanukkah songs and Kwanzaa songs in addition to like Christmas songs and more um, like religious Christian songs. And um, so that has been like really fun. And I don't think we've gotten a lot of like really hard questions. I mean, we just mostly try to say that like families believe different things and this is what we believe families believe different things and people celebrate in different, different ways. And our boys have pretty much just accepted that. And it doesn't seem to be like a source of conflict. Sometimes even though within Christmas, it can get a little muddled though, because I remember last year, um, Sam, it was like bedtime and we're like doing our final tuck in. And I could tell that Sam had like something really like on his mind. And I was like, is there something, do you have a question? Is there something you want to talk to me about and he was like mom is santa jesus's grandpa so (laughs) and so i'm like okay let's yeah we need to i guess we need to like refresh a little bit on how all of this works and so um yeah i mean i think that's kind of just the way that we're handling it i guess i love it and having a sense of humor (laughs) through it all because no matter how well you think you're explaining these things thoughtfully and intentionally you know it's it's things are going to get missed or misinterpreted. So, yeah, I'm like, I guess we haven't quite covered that. Like we've the talked a tree. lot. <laughs> right. Exactly. We haven't done the whole like breakdown of who's related to who. Like, why isn't why isn't Santa at, you know, in, in the nativity? I guess, you know, it's all a part of it. But like he thought it was a little bit more connected than it actually is. So I it was sweet. It so much. <laughs> How about you, Joanne? I um. I don't know if they know what they don't know yet. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. I I think my kids are kind of going along for the ride at this point. I mean, they know kind of similar to Katie. They know about other holidays from school. And they definitely know that Hanukkah 
um, gift giving is different than Christmas gift giving. Like it's spread out right. over the course of a few days. And on Christmas, um, you get your gifts all at once. They have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like which is better and which is worse. And they right. both have pros and cons, according to my kids. Um, but in terms of how other families celebrate and if they've noticed, I don't think so, or at least they haven't asked a ton of questions about it. I think part of that might be because they see so many different kinds of celebrations within our own family. Uh-huh. Um, there, there are a lot of different cultures within our family. So I think they take that as pretty standard. Yeah. They might be surprised if they went to a house and realized, um, that it was quiet. Right. <laughs> it was quiet during a holiday or something like that. Right. Yeah. No, that's that. It, they only know what they know. I think that's a really good point. Um, Catherine, you kind of like hinted at this because you are already celebrating both Hanukkah religiously and Christmas culturally. Um, is that an ongoing dialogue in your house? Yeah. You know, not until recently. Um, my, so my oldest is five, so she's still pretty young for a lot of these conversations, but they, yeah. my, three and five-year-old just started at Sunday school this year. And we just started going to services regularly post-COVID this, this summer, really. Um, and so I think they're just starting to realize that like a lot of their friends from Sunday school don't celebrate Christmas, that it's a separate thing. Um, and I did get a question from my daughter about why Santa doesn't visit her friend from school, but he visits us. And that was, stumbled over it a little bit. <laughs> um, but sure. I think I, I just try to say like, some people believe in Santa, some people don't. And I, I try to emphasize the, like, it doesn't mean that your friend is bad, like that Santa didn't visit her because right. she's not good. It's just some people don't believe in him. Um, but that was tricky. I don't know if that's the right way to address it. Um, and I'm still thinking about it for sure, but yeah, yeah. for the most part though, she, um, I think both of my older ones really like being able to teach their friends about Hanukkah. They both asked me to come into their classrooms this year to do like a little, um, you know, we can play dreidel and read a story and stuff like that. And I think they really like taking ownership of that. And it feels like something special to them, which is really cute. Um, So, yeah, that's been fun, especially this year with my oldest. I think a lot of like there's some really interesting conversations probably just around the corner for you with that age of five and being in kindergarten and like starting to have that awareness about the world. And I just, I think the right way to answer that question is the way that you're able to answer it in that moment. Cause none of us is prepared for the things that our kids are going to ask us or tell us. And so I think you did, you did just perfectly great for what you had (laughs) available to you in that moment. It's so tricky. I mean, if this episode provides nothing else, I think it's validation that like it doesn't matter how secure you are or proud of your faith and your like traditions. It's just we don't always we're not always ready to articulate it all. And then on top of that, at the level of a five year old, it's tricky. Like every mom out there is fumbling through some answer at bedtime about you know, Santa being Jesus. Is right. Grandpa, so and I think you, I, I, at least I want to really like preserve the, the like pure magic of it, like the simplicity of it. And the questions are almost like, oh no, like <laughs> we're getting right. outside of that, like very easy, you know, the easy magic of it. Yeah. 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 It's really tricky. 
Um, well, that kind of leads perfectly into my next question, which is like somehow we look around and we are the grownups in the room and we and our co-parents, if we're co-parenting, are all of a sudden like the ones deciding what kind of rituals and traditions to bring forward at the holidays. And I think for a lot of couples, it brings up questions about like how how we were raised. Do we want to do that with our kids? Everything from Santa to religion, like all the things. So I guess my question along those lines is what has surprised you all about that role of being the one in charge of how your family celebrates the holidays? Has anything been surprising? Joanne, let's start with you. I'm kind of laughing because when I hear you ask that question, I'm startled and surprised by the fact that I'm in charge. <laughs> like I hear you right. say that. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm the one in charge. Um, and I just haven't, it's taken me a long time to realize that my husband and I are in charge. You know, I'm an, I'm the youngest of three. And so I think my personality sort of um, thinks that like other people have more opinions or are sure. entitled to more opinions than I am being the, the third. Um, and it's been a process. My in-laws, um, we used to go to their place for a little Christmas celebration with them. And in the last few years, they've come over to our house. Okay. And I realized that I think I want to figure out some traditions for our home Christmas yeah. with them that we, you know, we have no precedent for it. Um, relig- in a religious sense, kind of what I was talking about before, my husband and I are in conversation, figuring out um, how to handle questions. You know, now that my oldest is 10, he has more questions and he has more opinions on God and um, a Catholic, um, not origin story, but I think you know what I mean. And um, I'm struggling to answer those questions. So then my husband and I have to have a conversation offline to figure out how we should handle those. So it's a process and I'm trying to figure out a way to, um, I think I need to do some research and talk to some people for suggestions. Um, so that's something we're still figuring out. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine, how about you? Anything surprising? Yeah. I think the big thing for me was like, you know, being raised Catholic, I feel like a lot of that, a lot of the ritual and tradition and just like the language of it was very ingrained in me as just like something that was not something I like questioned, I guess. Um, Uh And so now that I'm trying to like lead my family through a a faith that I didn't grow up in, I have to be like very purposeful about learning myself. Um, And I'm just looking at it very differently. So it's been, um, it's been really fun for me. just to, you know, like learn about new traditions and ask people questions. And, um, my husband and I go to this like parenting class at the, our temple where they, it's called like basically just how to have hard conversations with your kids about anything, not necessarily religious, but it's been, that's been a huge shift for me is, is really like studying religion in a way that I hadn't before. Um, yeah. And then trying to, trying to level that down for my kids, I guess. And it's just been interesting. The more I learn about Judaism, the more similarities. I mean, it's more similar to Christianity than it is different, I think. Um, And so that has also been helpful for me when I'm trying to integrate these two 
you know, traditions and cultures with my kids that there's just, there is a lot of overlap. Um, I mean, there's significant differences too, but, uh, I kind of try to focus on the, the big stuff we agree on. Yeah. Yeah. And Katie, how about for you? What's been surprising? Well, I mean, this isn't really faith related, but I have just been so surprised at the amount of work that is involved in like getting that cozy Christmas feeling, you know, like when you're a kid, it's all just kind of like happening around you and you just get to like enjoy all the senses and the memories. And like, it's not really until you are a parent that you realize just how much effort goes into the whole experience of the holidays. And so I feel like I am every year trying to find ways to like get that feeling without like being exhausted and grumpy and resentful and all of that. So that's like one thing that surprised me about kind of being in charge of the holidays. I think that's so that's uh, that um, observation (laughs) crosses all religious and cultural. Yeah, I think so. And then the other thing is um, I have learned that when it comes to um, like Santa and that part of um, Christmas magic, that keeping things almost more vague has helped it be even more magical, if that makes sense. So like, I feel like it just kind of helps my kids to um, like explore their own imagination. So when they have questions or are kind of like thinking about it, the less like specific we get in like our answers, I feel like if you give a specific answer, it's just an opportunity for kids to kind of like poke holes in it. Yeah. So like, for example, like if my kids are asking like, well, how does Santa come into our house if we don't have a fireplace instead of coming up with like some big story about like, oh, he has a magic key or, you know, I don't know, inventing some sort of like story around it. Like we just try to keep it like really vague and kind of let them like fill in some of those gaps with their own imagination. And I feel like that kind of creates more magic, if that makes sense. So that's been kind of that's been kind of fun because I feel like when I when I first became a mom, I felt like I needed to have like um, like our holiday philosophy of like how all the things were going to happen and like the answers to everything. And this yes, is what I we believe. That. Yeah. And and this is how we do our gifts. And this is all the answers about how Santa does that or in the workshop and just all of that. And it's like, I didn't need to have it all figured out and have answers to everything prepared ahead of time. Like I didn't need to have like a thesis on Christmas. I could just kind of like let the magic happen the way that feels magical to my kids, if that makes sense. So, and because you have a trio of siblings, you will also find that they will make magic with and for each other and they will answer each other's questions. So I know Mm. like you're just, like your younger two are just still pretty little, but I have found that too. Like I could be even in the room when some of those theories and hypotheses are happening and like not even say anything. And pretty soon, like the kids are having a discussion and a debate about, you know, some aspect of holiday magic. So, um, totally. yes, I, I relate to that so much of that thinking that you need to have all those 
answers ready for some eventual moment of truth. But in fact, mm-hmm. like turns out sometimes winging it is more magical and a lot less work. So, yeah. Um, well, let's wrap up with kind of a fun question for today. This episode is not at all about food, but I think food is a really um, interesting entry point to talking about faith and cultural traditions and how families do things. And Joanne, you mentioned um, just even the way that people sit around and spread out in a home to eat versus sit around a table. So I would love if each of you want to share like a food or drink related traditional tradition that's meaningful for your family. And it could be like a really specific dish, like a flavor um, that's very much about the food, or it could be more broadly about the way food kind of like, um, I guess, works within another holiday tradition. So Catherine, let's start with you. So I, I was laughing when Katie was talking because I feel like the food thing, especially with little kids underfoot, is just like too much for me <laughs> at this phase of my life. And we we are so lucky to have a really wonderful Jewish deli like right down the street. So honestly, I don't cook a lot. I get a lot of food from them. Um, but we do do, we try to make latkes together for Hanukkah. There's actually a great, if anyone listening to this is like, I don't know, new to Judaism, there's a great website called My Jewish Learning. And they do like very, um, they have recipes that are very kid friendly. So they can make um, like jelly donuts are a big thing for Hanukkah, but they have a recipe that just uses pizza dough and you can bake them instead of frying them. So they have really like kid friendly ways of making holiday food on their website, which is great. Um, and we do a lot of holiday cookies. Like my daughter went to school with a little, um, she's got a Santa and a, and a menorah sugar cookie in her lunch today. And that'll be the first batch of many for the season. Katie, how about you? Um, so our heritage is uh, very strongly Polish American. My dad is a hundred percent Polish. And so um, one thing that we always have at Christmas are um, kolachkis. And so it's a Christmas cookie, um, although I don't think they're just for Christmas, but we always have them at Christmas and they are topped with jam. And so my favorite are um, apricot and they're really yummy. And so we always make those. And then the other thing, which is not really um, like culturally um doesn't really have a cultural tie, but has kind of become one of our family traditions is that um, on Christmas Eve, we just celebrate with our little nuclear family of five. And we usually, um, after mass, we come back home and um, we, the, the boys exchange gifts that they have uh, picked out for everybody. So um, they like, um, for their brothers. And then one of us parents will take each of the boys to like buy for one of the grownups. And so they get to give their gifts and then we, um, eat chocolate mousse under the Christmas tree. So we did that just like one time. It might've been during COVID. Um, I was like, Ooh, this will be like a fancy treat. And everybody like went totally wild for it. And now it's like, we can't have Christmas Eve without chocolate mousse. So I, well, first that's of all, I what love we do. Chocolate mousse. And it's, yeah. there's never like, I, I never think to make or have a dedicated time to have it. So I would like to be your fourth little elf under that Christmas tree. I love that. 
Well, it's perfect for like Christmas or Christmas Eve because you can make it ahead of time. You yeah. can make it like two days ahead of time and yeah. stick it in the fridge. So I make it like, you know, a couple days ahead and then you don't have to worry. I mean, you just you scoop like it a into a bowl. of whipped cream or you can yeah. make it look pretty. Raspberries. Yeah. Yep. Love mm-hmm. it. Love it. Um, Joanne, how about you? I love that Christmas mousse idea. I might steal that too. Or make it with pudding cups or something. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, um, one of our big traditions when I was growing up, and to this day, I even make my friends do it, um, is that we eat 12 grapes on New Year's Eve at midnight. So oh. it, I think it's originally um, a, a tradition that came from Spain, but each grape represents prosperity because they're circular like coins okay so it's supposed to be like good luck because you're gonna have like a prosperous uh new year so and it's one grape for each month of the upcoming year so we do that wow and is it all at midnight i'm just picturing like like a whole bunch all at once like don't choke or can you like spread (laughs) them out like we well with the kids i you know sometimes they make it to midnight sometimes they don't and so we'll do it at like 9 p.m. with them. Um, but you don't have to put all 12 grapes in your mouth. Yes, in a, don't do just that. In a sitting. In a, in a, in a sitting. Definitely in a really sitting. Cool. And we put them like on napkins or in a little bowl. And this is something that I have made my friends do for years. So I'll get tons of photos on New Year's Eve of people, you know, holding their 12 grapes. Okay, it's kind of because this has happened to me before with the black eyed peas tradition when you um, which is a New Year's Day, also prosperity. And I think it's like the, you know, American South primarily does black eyed peas on New Year's Day, but or maybe it's New Year's Eve. We do them on New Year's Day. But once you um, hear that something like that is good luck and you do it once, it's very hard to the next year be like, well, I don't think I need the good luck this year. Like, even if it's all just pure superstition, it's like once you know about it, you can't not do it because what if it works? So I love that your friends are all in on that. And now maybe we'll all have to have 12 grapes. I, that was a new yeah, one I'm, to me. I'm already uncomfortable thinking that you might not do it, Sarah. So <laughs> you all have to do it. I do like grapes. I do not like being awake at midnight, but I think I could do the kid the kid version. Um, well, I, I'll share a food um, tradition as well. And I think I've shared this on the podcast at some point, but my, um, my mom's side is all Scandinavian. We are, um, let's see, nationally Finnish, but culturally Swedish. There's a part of Finland that um, uses Swedish language and culture, and they call themselves Swede Finns. And so that's where my mom's side of the family is from. And so we have a strong sense of Scandinavian traditions on that side. And then one of my aunts on that side of the family, uh, married a Dane. So then we've got some like Danish in-law, um, going as well. And my Danish uncle brought in the Christmas Eve rice pudding tradition where there is an almond hidden in someone's little dish of, it's a really simple kind of like white rice, um, milk or cream, cinnamon and sugar, and we put it into pretty little Christmassy teacups almost and serve it um, kind of before bed on Christmas Eve. Um, and then hidden in someone's serving is an almond. And the person who gets the almond gets some kind of a prize. So what's fun about this one for my family is we didn't do it growing up as kids. We didn't start to do it until my aunt married 
um, the first generation Danishman. And then we started doing it. So maybe when I was like an older teenager, um, but my kids now have known that their whole life and they're not even, I mean, they're, they're barely Scandinavian themselves, but that's been a fun one to carry forward. And it does keep Christmas Eve, like a little, a little something fun. And the prize is sometimes like a $10 bill or a little ornament or something. So that has been a fun one. And there is a name for this um, rice pudding tradition and it's long and I always forget it. So I will link it up in the show notes. So that's ours. Well, this was really wonderful. I am appreciative to all three of you. I know some of this stuff is a little bit vulnerable to talk about. And as moms, we have a tendency to think we're the only one who doesn't have all of this figured out or who has complicated stuff going on in our extended families. So I just appreciate um, all of your honesty and vulnerability and hope this episode uh, reaches our listeners in a way that um, is helpful and um, just makes everybody feel included and festive. And I know I for sure learned a lot from the three of you today. So Katie and Catherine and Joanne, thanks for being here. And thanks to everybody out there listening. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.